You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. As the millennials would say, rip, Toys R Us, ki- Toys R Us, kids. Well, not the kids. I, I hope they're alive. <laughs> but that commercial, it's from the 80s, so I got to believe at least one of them has passed on. <laughs> well, the moms are here. I got to say something awkward at least once. Let's get out in the front. All right. That, uh, let's see the time. All right. I'm not going to go long today so you guys can get mom lunch together. We went to Biagi's yesterday at 4.30, yeah, to beat that rush. And let me tell you, it's very good. So, All right, let's get into it. Um, ever since I could remember, I wanted to be able to drive. Um, to me, a car equaled emancipation and maturity and freedom, right? True freedom. No longer would I be forced to take that stinky CTA bus in Chicago or be limited by how far I could pedal my bicycle. And if I kept my possessions to a minimum, I could conceivably one day live out of my car. I could go explore the open roads of the great Southwest and just live, you know, live in my car. So when I was 15 years old and and I was taking driver's ed, I could not, I just couldn't handle the anticipation of when I would turn 16. And when I would turn 16, I would get a car, right? It'd have a bow on it. Probably wouldn't be a Mercedes, but I kept my hope. Now, acquiring a driver's license, as you will may learn one day, does not cost much money, but acquiring a vehicle, on the other hand, does. And since I was 15 and I, and I really didn't care for golf or holding old men's golf clubs, I didn't have any money to my name. Because, you know, when you're a kid, you can only make money being a caddy, really. The, the wheels of my mind then began to spin, right? And I, I tried to think of all the adults I knew that had more money than me, which was all of them. And I <laughs> figured, okay, I'll just ask them. Maybe my, my uncle, he, he kind of mentioned he'd buy me a car one day. Um, no, uh, no he, that fell through. Maybe my other uncle, no, no shot. Um, my older brothers, um, no. Okay, well, there's only one person left to ask. My mom. Yeah. <laughs> Foreshadowing. I knew I had to spin this in the perfect way, so I presented my case. Mom, you see, I am trying to become a man, and a man needs a car. Because uh, in order to have the car, I can then get a job, and then I'll have money, and then I can hang with my friends in my new whip, you know? We didn't call them whips back then. We just called them uh, cars. (laughs) But, Mom, before I can get the job, I need a car to get to the job. So can you buy me a car? And while we're looking, I'm thinking of a Subaru WRX blue with a spoiler, no shot, right? My, my mom was excited about me having a car, but there really wasn't room in the budget for a WRX. So she said, let me ask around. And she found this from one of her friends, a beautiful, brand spanking used 1992 white Toyota Corolla with a touch of rust, 
a thousand miles, thousands of miles, and all for the low, low price of $1,000. Mom, this is perfect. Let's buy it. Not so fast, son. You have to buy the car. But Mom, I don't have any money because I don't have that job yet. Why don't you just buy it? Uh, I'm aware that you don't have any money. And, and this is where my mom had an infuriating stroke of genius, right? She said to me, that's why I'm going to give you a loan for $1,000. And we're going to set up an interest-free, and what's interest? <laughs> an interest-free monthly payment plan. And you're going to pay me back for the car while you work. I was silent with fury. <laughs> I just wanted the car, man. I didn't necessarily want to pay for the car. I wanted the freedom and the street cred. But I didn't want the responsibility. I reluctantly agreed. I signed our makeshift contract, and I bemoaned my existence. Why, oh Lord, could I not be like the kids from 7th Heaven? Their dad (laughs) would buy them cars, and there were like 14 of those kids. And they all had cars. Why is life... So unfair. Well, oh, there goes my watch. Not meant to be. Okay. I eventually got over it, and this car helped me get elected homecoming king. No, I'm kidding. I never got elected homecoming king. Come on. I was more the funny guy, not the tall, attractive guy. So, all right. So, and they always get elected homecoming king. Anyway, that's a different issue. That's about high school. So now, Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Because it, it took me years to appreciate what my mom was doing in that season of my adolescence. My mom was using this desire I had for a car as an opportunity to show me what it means to become an adult. She was ushering me into adulthood. And becoming and being an adult is what the focus of this sermon series is all about. We're calling it, and you voted, hashtag adulting, living your life for Christ after college, which is based on a popular series of memes memes that older millennials, such as myself, uh, we really enjoy these. So these memes kind of bemoan and celebrate the mundane joys and struggles of adulthood, paying bills, filing taxes, going to work for two days in a row. And the reason we want to focus on adulting is because in a little over a month, one-fourth of you are going to graduate. And for the first time in about 18 years, you are going to stop being a student, and you will magically transform into an adult. And many of you will be thrown into the deep end of real life, and many of you are already in that pool drowning, (laughs) right? We got one right here. She's looking right at me. You got a good job, though. She works for Pfizer. That's pretty cool. Let's go for that. You want to stand? No, don't stand. So what what we've seen at iLife over the years, right, is that many of the people that leave our midst after graduation, they end up really struggling with life and faith after college. So our hope with this series is that students in our ministry, that, that you guys would be able to equip yourself with some skills and ways of thinking that we hope will prepare you for life after college. Does that make sense? And now there are a lot of you that already have graduated, right? Um, And I I hope you won't just check out. 
I, I think this series can be for you too, because no matter how old we get, I, I feel like these topics are still relevant to our lives. And there's things we're going to talk about that we have not mastered yet. And personally, I hope you'll be reminded of what you were aspiring for when you were a student and do an assessment on how is my life going. For all of us, over the next three weeks, I want us to be asking, how is my relationship with Jesus? Because that question is going to prove to be most vital as you assess how well you're adulting. So we're going to cover three topics with this series. Next week, Wayne Wager is going to talk about loneliness. And whether you're married or single, loneliness can be something that you experience in adulthood. You may be experiencing loneliness already in college. Wayne's going to give us a good word on that. Following that, Ashley Hobley, she's going to close out the series with a teaching on how to stay fervent in your faith for the long haul. How do we keep our relationship with Jesus fresh as we get older and busier? And today, I'm going to talk to you all about this thing that happens somewhere between one to three months after graduation, and it's called transplant shock. Now, before we get into transplant shock, I want to say a few things to the parents in the room and specifically to the moms. I I didn't fully appreciate how cool it would be to have so many parents here as we begin this series on adulthood because I, I, I want to challenge you guys with this. Help your child become an adult. You're going to have a way bigger influence on your child than we ever will. Because depending on some key decisions that you make as a parent, you can either be the biggest champion or the biggest roadblock for your child becoming an adult. When I was 15, my mom made a very difficult decision to make me pay for that car because she knew she was opening herself up to a world of belly aching and complaining and adolescent tears, you know, not fun. But she stuck her ground because she knew it would be important for me to learn what a loan is and how loans work. And she knew if I paid for the car that I would value it more. My mom empowered me at the age of 16 and helped me embrace adulthood, and I I was not excited about it. Your kids will not be excited about this. But it will help, it will ultimately help them grow into men and to women. For my generation, our adolescence is being extended into our mid-20s, and this is not good for society because we need our current generation to grow up. And I hate to say it, but I think a big reason for this extension of adolescence is because parents are enabling it. And I want to encourage you, as your kids get older, to strike a balance between that fraternal relationship, being friends with your kids, and the paternal relationship, still being their parents. And don't let your desire for friendship hinder your ability to parent your child. And don't let it hinder your choices to make hard decisions. And I appreciate that many of you do not want your kids to struggle But the struggle is necessary. It's how we become adults. There's a whole crop of young people being robbed of the struggle. And I'm just asking you guys to not deprive your child of this. They may resent you for it in the moment, but I promise you, they will thank you for it later.
So with that in mind, let's dive now into transplant shock. What is this exactly? So let's start with the picture. You guys like pictures? This is a tree. That's you. You're a happy little tree. You spent your whole life in this nice little nursery. There's a pot that you're in. And this nursery is called the American Educational Complex. For all of your conscious life, you've been this thing called a student. You, you occasionally get breaks, but it's never more than two months. And if you weren't the smartest tree, you had to go to summer school. So, you know, elementary and high school were fine, right? But things really got cooking once you came to the U of I. You were an Illini tree. <laughs> Hail to the orange, right? College was amazing. You had amazing friends, invigorating professors, a super holy and cool campus church, Illini life, that was loaded with godly people and amazing teachers. I know, wow, an embarrassment of riches. People have been pouring into you, making sure your soil is well watered, and you've gotten plenty of indirect sunlight. Your leaves are bright and green because of all the attention and care you've been given in college. And then you graduate. You find a job in Nebraska. It's kind of in your major. It's not horrible. It's not the dream job. You have no friends. You have no professors. You have no church. Heck, even your parents are saying, probably don't need to call every night. And you're starting to feel like this. <laughs> Your leaves are beginning to lose color. You feel isolated. You're disappointed. And you're in shock. How did my life end up like this? You're listening to Green Day. Now, with real trees, right, transplant shock occurs for a multitude of reasons, but most of the time a tree won't take root in a new place because it doesn't have the right soil. It doesn't have adequate sunlight or water. Or a a lot of times for little saplings, they they won't take root because they don't have any support holding it up, and they get blown down by the wind. Now, for humans, transplant shock happens because they never get adequately rooted in their new community. And some part of them, usually their idealism, ends up dying. An unfortunate reality of my life as a campus missionary is that every year we send off about one-fourth of our church community, and year after year I hear stories of people moving away, struggling in their walk with Jesus, and ultimately deciding to leave the faith. And it's these stories of people leaving their relationship with Jesus that is motivating this series for me Because I don't want any of you to walk away from him today or after college. But life is hard, and the temptation is real. And full disclosure, right, transplant shock is by no means the only reason people walk away. But it is a big reason, and it's reason enough that I think we need to spend some time intentionally preparing for it. So I wanted... um, parents to be reminded of what a drag college is. So I made a worksheet for you guys. And uh, some of you 
didn't get the worksheet, so if you could just raise your hand, we're going to hand some out if you need one. It's fun. It's, it's, not a, it's a good time worksheet, trust me. You'll like it. So how do we prepare for transplant shock? The main thing I think you can do is to know that it's coming. I think when I was 22 and fresh out of college and stuck on the struggle bus, I wish that one of my advisors or one of my teachers would have told me how different life would be. Working from 8.30 to 5 p.m. with a lunch break where you kind of microwave a lean cuisine compared to the glorious schedule of college, block scheduling, and the good food at Ike that you're probably sick of, but is is much better than a lean cuisine, you know? (laughs) Uh, I I wish someone just would have told me it's harder. And and maybe they did, and maybe I didn't hear them, but I just wanted to say it here. We'll have it recorded. Life is hard after college. It's true. There's no homework unless you're a teacher, and then there's nothing but homework. But there's something uniquely exhausting about the 40-hour work week. And that's if you're in one of those mystical careers where you only work 40 hours. All the adults are like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. So let it be said, life after college is hard, and I believe that by knowing this, you're going to be a little more prepared for the shock that comes with being transplanted. Now, as you transition into adulthood, you're going to notice that you experience this shock in different facets of your life, right? Professionally, socially, romantically. But today, we're focusing on how to, trans- how to survive transplant shock spiritually because I firmly believe that if you can hang on spiritually and be rooted spiritually, you will end up succeeding professionally and socially and gosh darn it, maybe even romantically. But no promises there. <laughs> so, my little trees, my sweet little trees. What if I start, I, maybe that could be my new nickname for you guys. Uh, how, oh, what's the first step in surviving transplant shock? No spoilers. All right. So this may seem obvious, right? But if you remove a tree's access to water, it will eventually die. Trees can't live without water. In addition to water for photosynthesis, I struggle with, I've always struggled with that, photosynthesis. In order for that to occur, what else does a tree need besides water? Yes, good job. You took AP biology. What do humans and trees have in common? We need water and we need sunlight, or else we also end up dying. Now, I know there's going to be some of you that are like, well, I I think you could live without sunlight, actually. (laughs) Because it's not vital, but here's the deal. I kind of went on a Google tangent. It's true, you could survive, but your bones would get so brittle from the lack of vitamin DNA, you wouldn't be able to walk, and then you'd die. <laughs> and probably before that happened, you would starve to death because the darkness killed all the food and animals. <laughs> so 
You can't live without light or water, right? Both trees and humans need them. So knowing that, listen to what Jesus says about himself. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Those are both from the Gospel of John. And, and, and in those sentences, Jesus describes himself as both light and water because he knew a relationship with him was vital for a human's existence. There is no life apart from a relationship with Jesus. With that in mind, the first step to surviving transplant shock is to get lots of sun and water. Said another way, saturate your life with Jesus Christ because no matter how great or terrible your job is or your new city or your crummy apartment, a deep relationship with Christ can make sense of all of it. And and with my experience, when people walk away from Christ after college, they are literally walking away from him. And they remove themselves from the source of life, their sun and their water. And slowly but surely, their faith began to shrivel up and die. Now, one of the best ways to get sun and water is to spend regular time praying, which we believe is talking and listening to God, and reading through his word. But those are are pretty individualistic acts. Those are things you do on your own time. So another way to place yourself in the path of sunlight and rain leads us to step two. Now, when you plant a tree, if you've ever planted a tree, which is hashtag adulting, right? Planting trees. um, A lot of times you'll see people attach rope and stakes to the tree to help support it. This protects it from the wind, mainly, and provides stability as the tree finds its rooting. Similar to the tree, you'll want to be held up by the support of your friends and family as you transition to a new stage of life. I think for some reason people forget that the body of Christ is compromise of people. And people will say stuff like, I have a relationship with Jesus, but I'm not interested in the church. But his body is the church. It's called the body of Christ. His his people make that up. And and you you can't pick and choose between Jesus and his church. They're they're kind of a package deal. It'd be like saying, I want to be friends with you, but I don't want to be friends with your wife. Oh, I mean, I think she's pretty cool, but because the church is Jesus's bride. And we isolate ourselves, right, when we do this. People withdraw. People pull in. And I think the reason we do this is because relationships are hard, especially when there's distance involved. But, but I would say hold on to each other as you transition and lean on your old church community as you find that new church community. At Alina Life, we want to be a support structure for you as you get rooted in a new place. We love receiving your phone calls, your emails, your texts, 
asking for help and support. And you guys have beautiful communities in your small groups. I love watching you guys interact and hang out and have your inside jokes. And I hope that after you guys graduate that you will lean on each other as you transition into those new areas. And if you have a friend that's leaving and a lot of you are staying back, be intentional about supporting them. Attach a rope to them and and a stake, metaphorically. (laughs) Send them a care package, you know, or a, a, a letter. But what's going to end up happening, and I get a weird joy from this, is eventually those students fall out of touch, right? And I love it when they fall out of touch because they found a new community of great believers. So in my mind, one of the main goals of the support structure is to help you get rooted in a new community of Christians, right? A new church. And this is where it usually goes sideways for most people because finding a new church, as Ryan shared with us, is really hard. He had to invite himself into friend groups. That's not on the surface cool, right? He's laughing. We could laugh at him. <laughs> I had the same experience when I was living in Chicago of, of being like, no one wants to hang out with me. What's wrong with me? And so I was like, well, it's your haircut. And I was like, oh, gosh, no. No, I'm kidding. Um, finding a new church is hard. But I'm convinced of this. Where you go to church is one of the five most important things you'll decide in your life. And here's my hottest take today. Hot take. Where you go to church is more important than where you go to work. Jesus says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? That's in Matthew 8. And how many of you are trying to gain the world in exchange for your soul? Now, many of you are here, so you're fighting that temptation. But I will tell you, the temptation for that increases tenfold as you enter into industry and into professional life. Because making money feels really good. And it's a solution for a lot of problems. But it's not the ultimate solution for eternal problems. So if going to, if what church you go to is one of the five most important things in your life, I would exhort you guys to prioritize it. I think the most important thing is who you're going to worship and follow. That's Jesus ultimately, right? I think secondly, you you have a decision. Do I want to get married or not get married? After that, if you succeed, do we want to have kids? Do we not want to have kids? And I think as you're building that identity and building your family, whether it's as a married person or as a single person, where you go to church is going to prove crucial for how your life is going to go. And where you worship and live and believe will inform how you work. And if you are finding a job in a place where you cannot find a church, I would encourage you to reconsider moving there. 
Because what profit is it to you to gain the world, yet lose your soul? So step three is to plant yourself in nutrient-rich soil. The community of Christians you decide to belong to can make or break your spiritual life. And the reason for this is one of the easiest ways to take out a tree is to attack it at the roots. Said another way, if you don't go to any church at all, you have no nutrients going into your roots. That's the best place to engage with the word and to pray and to talk and listen with God in community. And even more sneakily, if if you're in a church and you're rooted in a church that is teaching bad doctrine, that also can kill your faith because it may have the appearance of soil, but the soil has no nutrients in it and you are being deprived. And that's why we have deserts, right? Many cities are becoming spiritual deserts because of bad doctrine. So some easy questions to ask when you're looking for a church. I have three. When I go to this church, do I hear the name of Jesus proclaimed as the exclusive and divine Savior of people? When I go to this church, do they open up the Word of God and learn from it and live by it? And thirdly, when I go to this church, do they profess, promote, and practice the Great Commission? Barna did a study that 51% of churchgoers do not know what the Great Commission is. And that is another reason why we have so many deserts, so many spiritual deserts in our country. The Great Commission is to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Is your church giving you a chance to do this? Are they exhorting you to do it? The the Great Commission, it's challenging. But you want a church that's putting it in front of you. The healthier the soil of your church is that you're planted in, the healthier you're going to be as a little tree. So as I mentioned earlier, I grew up in the city of Chicago, and I don't know if we have any Chi-Town people. Any? Okay, who was alive in... um, what year was that? 1998, anyone? Oh, I was 11. Um, so in Chicago, we, we got uh, a plague. Can't be dramatic. There was an infestation that happened with this bug called a longhorn beetle. Do you guys remember this, the longhorn beetle in Chicago? The longhorn beetle would basically, its larva would kind of kill trees, on an, you know, they weren't trying to kill the trees, but they were killing trees like crazy. Over the course of 10 years, over 1,500 trees in the city of Chicago were destroyed by the longhorned beetle. And these are like some historic trees in, in areas like Oak Park. And, and, and Chicago has a very beautiful tree action going on, if you've ever been there. And it was so sad to see these great trees get eaten from the inside and end up dying. But thankfully in 08, the longhorn beetle was eradicated from the city. The trees won to live another day. You can imagine the Ents from Lord of the Rings, right? Let's get the bugs and destroy them, you know? So all that to say, um, 
you could be in good soil, you could have a support structure, and you're going to have that sun and water coming, but you, there's, a, there's another threat, right? You have to guard against invasive species. There's going to be the bug of lies, right? Our, our main adversary, he speaks, he's a bug. I just want to step on him, you know? He's going to speak mistruths about God and consistently undermine the goodness of God. This is that voice outside of your head that is constantly whispering lies to you. That's a bug you have to guard against. There's going to be weeds of bitterness, right? People are going to let you down, especially Christian people. And I have heard countless times that people reject Christ because of his Christians. And that's something for us to take seriously. We, we have to be better. But for you, you cannot justify rejecting the man because of his followers, because ultimately he is going to be looking to you and holding you accountable for your decisions. Do not let Christians ruin Christ for you. And the, and the way we protect against bitterness in relationship is to pursue forgiveness. And there's going to be thorns of worry, right? I love how Jesus put it in the parable of the four soils. He says, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of life, and listen to this, the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. The deceitfulness of wealth. How deceived have I been by wealth? And the worry, will I have enough money? Will we make it this month? Is God going to come through and provide? I've been deceived. And I'm confident that we all have at some point. So these things, bugs, weeds, thorns, how do we protect against these invasive species? Well, you have to go organic with it because it doesn't work otherwise. <laughs> you need 100% organic truth. Ah, and what, 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 what does Jesus say about himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is ultimately that truth, but also your community, that soil, one of those nutrients is truth. Your church needs to be professing truth in your life. So the last thing, you're doing well, you're growing, you're a happy tree. Maybe one of your support structures got taken away. You just got the one right now. You're getting sprayed with, you know, organic truth. Um, but there's this interesting thing that's going to happen. You're, you're going to experience this notion of overgrowth. And ironically, overgrowth can be an impediment to fruitfulness. So Jesus, hooray, he is a gardener. You wouldn't know it, you know? Uh, he wants to garden you, You're the little tree. He's like, I'm here. I'm going to come around. Jesus has the shears. He's an arborist. Is that what they're called? He's very good. Um, Edward Scissorhands, he makes him look like a, a chump, you know? And Jesus wants to prune you because you will bear more fruit. Does that make sense? Now, pruning, if you didn't know, is cutting. And if you've ever had a limb 
cut off. I've not, but I hear. It's very painful. And I, I always feel bad with trees. When, you know, if you ever pruned a tree, I'm always like, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, it, it, feel, it seems painful. You know, if, they have, if they're maple trees, it looks like they're bleeding. You know, it's just syrup, so don't worry. Um, now, pruning is the process that we go through in order to mature. And it's painful sometimes. And usually, pruning appears in the form of discipline, right? God challenging you and, and provoking you to grow. And a lot of times, it's the very process of being pruned that people are like, no thanks. I do not want to be pruned. I'm not interested in a Christianity that is looking to prune me. I don't want a God that wants to prune me. I'm out. See ya. I'm out. I'm leaving. And that makes sense to me, right? Because pruning is painful. But without the willingness to be pruned, you will never mature in Christ. And you have to expect the maturation process to last your whole life. How do you know if you're being pruned? It's usually pretty easy to tell there's a a discomfort, a way of thinking that you're being challenged in, or a lifestyle or action that you're consistently falling prey to. Allow Jesus to prune the dead branches in your life so that you can be more fruitful. So we're at the end, right? Step six. The best step. You're well pruned. You look good. If I were pruned, I'd, I'd want to look um, like a dog, personally. So it'd be like a tree trunk and then a puppy. Uh, have you guys seen Scissor Hands? You have no idea what I'm talking about? Okay. Rent it. It's strange. So you're well pruned. You've been sprayed with organic truth, 100% organic. You're deeply rooted in healthy soil. You got a great church. You moved on from your support structure. You got new friends that are supporting you, and you're supporting yourself because you're so deeply rooted, and you're regularly praying and reading the Bible yourself and in community. So what happens next? Well, you bear fruit. Pretty cool, right? It just kind of happens. I don't, I don't totally know, but it, I see it happening. And do you guys know those whirly bird things? Those little, oh, where'd it go? Pop it up, Maddie. The next slide. You guys know those guys? I hate those guys. They get everywhere. In my car, I'm like vacuuming them out. Like, but when I think of those little guys as disciples of Christ... I'm like, I still am going to vacuum you? <laughs> but that's a pretty cool image because from one tree, thousands of whirly birds get whirlied out. And some of those get into some soil and they become new trees, new Jesus-loving trees. So when you're doing these five things, those whirly birds are going to start flowing out of you. And this is where bearing fruit gets complicated because I don't totally know how to bear fruit because I think that's something that Jesus' spirit does through you. But I know that if you do these five things, be pruned, guard against invasive species, be in nutrient-rich soil, have a support structure, get sun and water, I know if you do and prioritize those five things, the fruit will come. 
Many a forest was growing from whirly birds, and the same is true of the body of Christ. The body of Christ grows from individual believers replicating their lives in others. And I think we make bearing fruit harder than it is, because really, if you're the kind of tree we just described, God is going to give you opportunities. I promise you, he will give you a chance to replicate. At that point, all you really have to do is say yes to the opportunity. And many of you, especially many of you that get older in life, say no to the opportunities. And I think a big reason is, for, is because of fatigue. And I would just say, say yes. Ryan shared with us that he battled fatigue in order to be in community. And that's something, like college students, you guys think you're tired now, but you have no, no idea the weariness that is to come. Don't let your weariness prevent you from bearing fruit. So what, what are some ways that you're going to see fruit in your life? You're, you're going to do good, right? You're going to serve the poor, help orphans, disciple younger believers, help one another out. If I need a lawnmower, I can ask my friend Matt, hey, can I use your lawnmower? We share meals. We practice hospitality. We, we lead small groups. We set up lights. We brew coffee. We preach sermons. We have integrity at work. We don't cheat on our taxes. We love our spouses. We take care of our children. We reconcile when our friends hurt us. And we find ourselves being more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, gentle, faithful, and self-controlled. So that is how to survive transplant shock. And I, I firmly believe this, guys, that if our church was comprised of more healthy trees like this, we wouldn't be seeing these deserts that we're seeing pop up in, in cities and in rural areas around the country. So what can you do? There's not a ton you can control besides yourself. So... Take care of the tree that you are and evaluate. Do I need to be pruned? How's my church's theology? Do I need to find a church that's more nutrient-rich? How are my friends? Am I reading my Bible? Am I praying? I I hope this worksheet will just help you to kind of assess where your life is going. And and I hope for those of you that are are about to enter into this, our seniors, that... um, You guys will just take this message to heart and let us know how we can help you as you transition. We don't want you guys, especially our seniors, to feel alone after graduation. So we're here for you. That's all I have to say today. I do not have a good ending. So I'm just going to say, band, come on down, and I'll pray to close. How about it? So, um... If you could turn these in, we'll grade them and get them back to you. My TAs are very lazy, so it'll probably take me a week to grade these. But no, I'm just kidding. Okay, you ready? I'll pray, play a little dramatic background music. So, uh, Would you guys stand and we'll pray?